Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, November 6, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the second episode of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian Season 2. It's titled The Passenger. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And special guest. From the Star Wars Insider, StarWars.com, Felicis Podcast, and SlashFilm.com, Brian Young. That's that's me. Yes. Uh, okay, so it's been a long week for all of us, guys, but at least th- we, we have this new episode of The Mandalorian, so that's a positive, right? Yeah, plus, yeah. plus I, I got a big box full of Mandalorian merchandise, so my week's pretty awesome, too. Yeah, I saw that. I'm jealous of that, Brad. I, I, I gotta, I gotta get on that list because we got a YouTube channel. I could be opening up on YouTube. That's true. But, yeah, uh, this, this is definitely. I think this is like the biggest box I've received too because I, I got one for um, Last Jedi, and then they sent um, some stuff for 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back. But this box was huge, and it had stuff that like I was definitely gonna waste money on, but now I don't have to. <laughs> what was the coolest thing in there? 
I mean, I love the Black Series figures the most just because their their detail in that collection is awesome. But uh, the other coolest thing, even though I probably won't keep this, it'll go to one of my girlfriend's nieces or nephews, uh, is the Dark Saber toy um, that we saw from the end of the first season. Um, it's just it's just really cool. The sounds are cool on it. They it has a cool um, design, and so I, I hope that they actually make like a one of the uh, Force FX Elite uh, lightsabers out of the Dark Saber because that would be really cool. Very cool. Okay, uh, we're gonna do what we did last season, where we're gonna have some notes from the about the previous episode. We're gonna get into our brief reactions, then we're gonna do our blow by blow recap, uh, which should be shorter this time, hopefully, and then we'll have some speculation about the seasoning and upcoming episodes. But uh, episode one, one thing I didn't notice when I saw episode one, and my friend Reza pointed out, was that Cobb Vanth in the first episode. When he hits the crate dragon in the eye with his, the missile from Boba Fett's jetpack, which is, is is kind of funny reference because the action figure was Brian. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it recalled or was it never released? It was never released. So it was advertised that you would be able to get the Boba Fett with the rocket firing jetpack. And by the time they actually went to send them out to everybody, they just glued the the rockets <laughs> into there. They 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 made it so they were completely yeah. non-firing. Yeah. So this is a reference because they were afraid that kids were going to shoot their eyes out. So uh, so we, we got to see the missile in action and it actually did shoot the crate dragon's eye out so i thought that was kind of a funny reference there speaking of the crate dragon last time we talked about the the skeleton that was in the desert and what, what the story behind that what was that again there was uh another movie that had filmed in tunisia before star wars did and they showed up and they're like we could totally use this and so they just staged their shots. So apparently, like that, that's that's partially true, but um, it wasn't actually left in Tunisia because uh, Phil um, Zostak from from Lucasfilm ju- posted a tweet um, a few days ago, actually, and uh, so it's actually a Diplodocus skeleton from the 1975 Disney movie One of Our Dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, or sorry, one of our dinosaurs is missing, and apparently they actually took it to Tunisia. Oh wow! You put it in the desert. And then they left it there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny that there that Star Wars had a Disney connection even way back for A New Hope. So, yeah. Um, uh, last episode, we touched on the graffiti in that opening sequence, but we forgot to mention among the images spray painted on the wall were like some stormtrooper helmets that had been like crossed out. So I guess that's showing, you know, the, the time after Return of the Jedi and how, uh, you know, people are sick of the Empire. So um, something we just didn't mention. Um, the other thing that I did not notice, someone pointed this out to me. I'm not sure if either of you guys noticed this, but uh, during the flashback of Cobb Vanth, uh, he's explaining learning about the Death Star 2s uh, getting blown up. Uh, he's They're watching on a holographic like television, like the news. And there is a there's a scroll of an arabesque scroll going on during this news broadcast. And it's actually the second paragraph from return of the Jedi's opening crawl. So, oh, nice. Yeah. I, I really love trying to look for those things. Like I can't even tell you how much <laughs> that Hatties that the Mando spoke in today's episode. I went through like three different books trying to find what he was saying. <sighs> I wish you could have figured that out. Um, Me too. Uh, also, last week, uh, not to uh, correct you, Brian, but I asked you 
Moss Pelgo, if that was something invented for Aftermath. And it actually wasn't. Um, you thought it might have been uh, invented by Chuck Windig. But I, I found out from someone who wrote, a, wrote into us that doesn't want to be mentioned that it was first introduced in Knights of the External Throne expansion pack for the video game Star Wars The Old Republic. Okay, so that was something that he pulled. It first appeared in the new canon yeah. in Aftermath, and that was something that, that Chuck had pulled from elsewhere. Yeah, from the from a expansion pack for a video game. So, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't, uh, you don't lose any credit here, Brian. Okay, for not knowing I that appreciate that. that's like that's a deep cut there. I think even though if, even though it's Old Republic, it's like an expansion for pack for the Old Republic. So <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I was listening to your podcast recap on Full of Sith, uh, for last week's episode, and you expressed a lot of um. Uh, I don't know. You were very skeptical if the character we saw at the end of this episode was actually Boba Fett, and you did not express that last week on this podcast. So I wanted to get your your thoughts on I, this. Like, I it's not that I'm skeptical; it's that I'm hopeful. It's not right. <laughs> like I just, I really, I really like Boba Fett being dead. And there's uh, I, when you look at the timelines too, right? Like, um. Boba Fett is in his late thirties at this point. And Tamir Morrison is a lot older than that. And uh, in order for it to be Tamir Morrison, he's either got to like, we've either got to suspend our disbelief to think that he's 38, you know, this 60 year old man is playing 38. Well, well to be fair, so. you and McGregor in the prequels to Alex Guinness and a new hope. Like we are suspending disbelief in that age, right? That age. Yeah, age. no, we are. Um, I, I was just sort of hoping we'd get, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of holding out hope that maybe it's not Boba Fett, but not seeing him show up in this second episode made me like hopeful that maybe we won't see him again this season. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think he could be a clone? Like, like, Rex I, I, think or, he, I mean, it's not Rex because he doesn't have the facial hair, right? Or the, yeah. The, yeah. But it could be, I mean, Rex could, I mean, conceivably have shaved, Yeah, but, I just really liked Boba Fett sort of being dead. Um, I, I don't like like we, we did talk about last week how I kind of felt like Boba Fett's most interesting stuff was with his status as a clone. And none of those stories can get explored here. But on the other hand, if he is going to be back, um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to explore about him not actually being a Mandalorian. And maybe that's the the approach vector. I don't know. I'm trying to be very open minded about them bringing back characters. I was skeptical of them bringing Darth Maul back. And now he's one of my favorite characters with the way, you know, all the things they did with him. And that really softened my initial reaction about like, oh, Palpatine's back. <laughs> um, it was like, well, if I can buy Darth Maul, why not Palpatine? And so I guess I'm trying to work my way into that same place with with Boba Fett, but maybe we'll get like a mega version of Boba Fett, like like yeah, when, like a, like with the Emperor at the end of Rise of Skywalker, and he'll like oh, no, he'll get no. he'll get like a new suit, and he'll be like super powerful, and he'll tell Mando he has Wait, to he has to no. kill him, super I, I, mecha Boba Fett. Yeah, now I, we're talking. I, I, I like Rise of Skywalker, but I don't like this idea. Um, okay. <laughs> The other question I didn't think of and someone brought up to me is 
in season one of the Mandalorian, we saw one character in the Dune Sea. We saw the like uh, spurs or we heard the spurs. Was that Boba Fett or was that Cobb Vanth? I think it was Vanth. I think they gave Vanth the the spur sound when he walked into the the bar in Mos Pelgo. Um, and it was sort of pieces of Boba Fett's armor, but it was really dark. So there's some plausible deniability. But maybe it was Boba Fett and maybe Boba Fett comes back with Fennec Shand, which would be a great way to bring her back too. who knows. She's still alive. I I mean, it's Star Wars. I mean, like you could have asked with the same incredulity (laughs) that question about Boba Fett two weeks ago. Yeah. And the and Uh, the emperor two years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Darth Maul five years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Uh. The other thing I wanted to mention before we get into this week's episode is Star Wars Celebration have has revealed their exclusive products for uh, the online drop. They're not having, you know, the actual celebration, but they have all these exclusive products. And one of them is a Mudhorn Egg Plush. Did you guys see this? Yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I really, uh, I have no idea what the hell I would do with it, but it looks adorable. <laughs> But the thing is, like, you can't take out, like, the, the slime goop inside, right? Like, so what's the point? Just put candy in it. Yeah, I guess. Okay, let's move on to Season 2, Episode 2, which is confusingly titled Chapter 10. Um, this is directed by Peyton Reed. Um, and uh, let's uh, give our quick thoughts. I'll start off. Uh, it's... Uh, it's funny how director Peyton Reed is kind of stuck with more ants and spiders in the show. And uh, we're back to more of like an adventure of the week. I would give, I would say it's almost like a fun filler episode, uh, 41 minutes, which is a good length. I think uh, John Favreau is again, the soul writer. And uh, the, I almost wish that they had started releasing the Mandalorian season two episodes a week earlier. That way this episode could have been aired on Halloween because it had like big, like, alien vibes and it's like a creature feature it's you know sci-fi gross but cool but you know has some awesome action like i feel like it would have made for a good like you know watching on halloween weekend and uh also it's amazing how much the show feels so big even though this feels smaller than last week's but it feels so big even though this episode only has like what like four or five actors total the entire episode so it's crazy uh brian what did you think uh you know i i enjoyed it i think it it kind of took the mandalorian away from the um you know sort of aimless bounty hunter and really they're really leaning into making him a hero with this episode um and i really enjoyed that peyton reed I think thread a really fine needle in the filmmaking as far as balancing the action, but also like the sight gags and comedy. I think it's something he's sort of uniquely good at in being able to pull the comedy without actually breaking the tension of the situations, Um, which was, you know, there's a few moments in Ant-Man that, that really sold that. And, you know, watching, watching the child just steal those eggs the entire time is, is worth it. And it's funny, but it was a situation that's also like uh, gross and you're rooting against it. 
um, which helps it tread that that balance between, you know, just funny and then and then ruining all the tension and the suspense of the episode and the scares. Um, and yeah, I really loved the the sort of the the predator and alien vibes that it gave off. Brad, what are your brief thoughts on this episode? Yeah, there's I don't think there's a lot of substance here, except I think, it you know, it serves to soften Mandalorian a little bit more because I I wonder if Mandalorian, like from the beginning of the first season, wouldn't have been so quick to accept such a hasty job, um, even if it benefited it somewhat, like because it seems kind of unsafe to accept a passenger that, you know, their ally just met 10 minutes ago and at the last minute taking it on. You don't like you don't know if someone's after them or what kind of threat it's going to bring on. And he's a pretty experienced bounty hunter. So it seems almost ill advised to do that. But you know, you get the idea that he, see, you know, he sees the container, he knows what those eggs are, and that you know, it's it, it hits him in that soft spot because you know he, you know, obviously as a kid who was abandoned, and it's the same feeling he had for the child and taking him on and keeping him safe. So um, that's an interesting aspect. But yeah, otherwise, I I still really enjoyed the episode because like it almost felt like an episode of Lost in Space, um, and it even has like a, b- a bit of that cheesy kind of aspect to it, albeit just with much better effects. Um, and I'd like to say that I called this the whole um ice spider or whatever they're brian what are they called maybe crickness yeah i I called that because there's there's one shot in the second trailer and like you unless you're looking for it you don't even even notice it and i knew that this was that was going to happen this episode um but yeah no gnarly creature design school seeing it in live action like this the um great action but Anyone who was upset that there wasn't a lot of Baby Yoda in the season premiere definitely got their fill in this episode because he's back at it being a mischievous, you know, little baby. Um, it's, I, I, I love like watching him try to eat the eggs. Like it's it's such a it's <laughs> such a, a vicious thing, but it just feels so harmless because he's just hungry and you just watch him. He just like pops it in his mouth and just stares at the Mandalorian. Um, but yeah, I, I loved all that kind of stuff. Just the little glimpses that he takes, especially. We'll get to it later. We'll talk more about the individual stuff. But but yeah, it was uh, it was a fun episode. Um, again, not much substance, but very enjoyable. Yeah, I think that's my big criticism of this episode is it's like, you know, it's a filler episode. Nothing, not much happens, but it's fun. It's fun enough. Um, okay, so let's get into the actual episode itself. The episode begins with Mando riding his speeder through the Tatooine desert, and a gang sets up a trap. It's kind of funny that like this whole. What do you call this? Like a rope or ch- chain trap? Um, it, it's not much. Like they didn't really make it sci-fi. They didn't make it Star Wars. It just like feels like a western. Right. Was it not Star Wars because it looked exactly like the sort of trap the Ewoks pulled on speeder bikes in Return of the Jedi? Yeah, but they're very primitive, Brian. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you think scavenger- well, scavengers just- aren't primitive? Yeah, I guess you're a good point. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So, we come across these scavengers. What kind of aliens are they here? Um, I didn't write down what sort of aliens. One of them, I looked, I, I again, this is another one of those things where uh, to re- write my review, I was trying to find a whole bunch. But the, the smaller, the more diminutive alien, uh, I couldn't find a name for him, but he's the same one that sort of... Uh, yells at Ray on Jakku, not the same one exactly, but of the same species. So it was a design from Force Awakens. Yeah, I actually um, I actually looked this up too because uh, a website, I won't name them just because I don't want to shame them, uh, tried to <laughs> say that this was a rogue Jawa. And I'm like, no, man, we've seen this this thing before. And so it's, I so I went and specifically looked it up. And like, at first I looked in the books because I couldn't like find uh, it like just with basic searches. And, and then I figured it out. And so... He's referred to as Scrapjaw Motito, 
Um, but that's okay. actually his name. That's not like a, a species or something, right? Well, I mean, potentially, because like as we've seen in Star Wars, they have that thing where they use their their species to kind of make it their name from time to time. Yeah. Um, and so it seems like that that could be his his name, but like. I mean, they all, they all, it looks like if this, if this character in Mando isn't the exact same character and it's different, I mean, he also would have, would have what you call a scrap jaw. Um, so, uh, so, I mean, yeah, I don't know if we have an alien name for it, but that's at least how the character is credited and, and referred to in Force Awakens. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think there is a species name for him. Yeah. Do, do you think after this, uh, this running that like he was like, forget it i'm getting off this desert planet and going to another desert planet and then it's the same guy that runs into the wreck. i like i like a place I mean, with few resources <laughs> <laughs> hey you need a place that's like easy to, to scrap stuff and like jakku is the place to be especially the after the into the fryer <laughs> yeah but i was gonna say especially after the events of return of the jedi because the battle of jakku happens like what right after that no, the Battle of Jakku is over by uh, a year or two by the t- at least a year yeah. or two before before the Mandalorian happens. So all that sc- sweet sweet scrap would have been uh there already. Yeah, so that that could have brought him there. Anyways, okay, we're getting distracted. I I said we were not going <laughs> to get into the the bits and pieces here, but we are. Um so Mando uh tries to bargain with him, giving him his jetpack. I think it's interesting that how many people that we're meeting this season alone that don't know the child's worth, even though the bounty went like very wide, it seemed like that whole the fob thing. And like everybody just wants the best car or they want the jet pack or the, like they don't care about this, this alien species that is apparently very rare. And some people know but- the value of. I think the thing, though, is that Grief Karga was sort of the head of the the Bounty Hunters Guild that had put that hit out for, on behalf of the Empire. And I think Grief canceled that, right? So there's not necessarily an active bounty, bounty on it unless the Empire goes out and puts another one on it. Yeah, no, true, true. Okay, uh, so he takes the jetpack and leaves in just in time for Mando to remotely blast the alien into the sky and... and maybe kill him maybe very hurt hurt him uh badly uh i think it's cool that they are still introducing like things that the armor and like mando's like fun collection of toy it's kind of like what john favreau did with iron man um that like there's a jetpack remote that we never knew about um and also i i think that it's interesting that that it seems like as Mando, as Mando becomes kind of like more of the hero, we're seeing him defeat bad guys in a way that it's like, oh, he didn't kill them. Like, you know, in the first episode, like, yeah. he left uh, Koresh up on that light and he, he shoots out the light. But, oh, he, you know, he's not responsible for him dying and- from those creatures. I really loved the the puppetry on the look that that the child gives him after you know this 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 creature falls from the sky and he just kind of gives him that suspicious like really man sort of look. I really liked that. Okay, so we have our title card, the passenger. I don't think there's really much here. Like, who is the passenger? It's obviously, the frog lady, right? Or it could be the eggs, or it could be Baby Yoda. It could be all three at the same time. Uh, I don't think there's really much here, but I I do want to mention that almost every single one of the episodes of this show begins with the title with the, 
So there's only episode four and eight, Sanctuary, Sanctuary and uh, Redemption were the only episodes so far that didn't have the in the title. So it seems like it, it's, it seems like John Favreau likes the a lot. So uh, so expect more of that this season. <laughs> um, OK, so Mando travels through uh, the desert to the Mos Eisley Cantina. Uh, it's still very empty, like we saw it last time. Uh, there was a Gigaran in there, though. What is that? So a, uh, a Gigaran, that big white creature, uh, you've seen one. They first appeared in Rogue One. Uh, Moroff was one of um, Sagarera's gang. And oh, is, it, oh, that, the, is that the one with the long white hair? Yeah. Um, but he looked like he had a lot of dirt in his fur <laughs> in the cantina. But uh, yeah, that was that was uh, one of the, the species that I kind of picked up on in the cantina. But you're right. It is very dead. And Dr. Mandible looks very much like inspired by the praying mantis in A New Hope. Yeah, I was wondering, is that a creature? Is that a species of creatures that we've seen in Star Wars before? Or is it just Peyton Reed doing Ant-Man? Yeah, it's Ant-Man in there. Yeah, it's, Anthony. I, it's probably it's it's probably a mix of, of yeah, Peyton Reed doing the Ant-Man thing, but also like taking the inspiration of like how weird can we get the creatures to get in the cantina? And there was just literally a giant praying mantis in the, a new hope uh, iteration of the cantina. So why not a giant ant ant? Yeah. And I'm not sure if we mentioned this uh, last episode, but uh, one of the reveals of the gallery Mandalorian show was that the droid that is the bartender, you know, things have changed before droids weren't allowed in a place like this. And now there's a droid bartender. And that is actually voiced by Mark Hamill. We don't hear him in this episode. So but you do hear him in the, the last season. So that's interesting. Um, OK, so Dr. Mandible, which is just a great <laughs> Star Wars name, right? It's up there with Therm Scissor Punch. <laughs> uh, he says he might be able to help if Mando could cover his bet. He does and he loses. Uh, and by, by the way, he's pl- playing a, ge- a game of Sabacc against Amy or Amy's character. I forget her name. I don't Pelimato. Pelimato. Um, they they leave. Uh, they're back at the at her. Um, what do you call that? <laughs> Where they keep ships. Her her hangar. Do- Do- hangar. Yes. Yeah. And the, they're, uh, the the droid is roasting the crate dragon. Uh, the meat from the crate dragon that they had from the last episode on a pottery engine, which is something they do in but two in Galaxy's Edge. So I, I got excited about that. So I, I was really interested too that droid Treadwell is one of the droids that we saw at the Lars homestead. And at the point where Pelimato has R5, it makes me wonder if she just has, like, if Treadwell was from the Lars homestead too, or at least from that vicinity, if she was dealing with the same Jawas. I can't even imagine that the Jawas from that vicinity wouldn't go to the Lars homestead after all that destruction and just pick up every droid they could. Or in Uncle, oh. o- in Uncle Owen's will, it was dictated, and, and Pelimato will, shall inherit all of my droids. <laughs> <laughs> Stranger okay. things have happened. <laughs> so the contact wants passage to another system, one sector over, but without hyper- hyperdrive. Mando is not happy about this because going fast means that he's safe. Uh, in the... the the contact is this frog lady. I don't think she ever gets a, a name in this episode. And she's trying to transport her eggs. They need to be fertilized by the equinox or her line will end. Uh, hyperspace would kill them. And her husband is on the moon of Trask. 
in the system of the gas giant Coal Iben. Have we heard of any of that before, Brian? I don't know. I didn't even look. No, no, that's all. That's all new stuff. Yeah. Um, as far as as far as my research was able to go, um, the interesting thing about the Frog Lady is that the performer is Misty Rosas, uh, who played the physical part of the Ugnot uh, Quill in the first season. And the voice is actually Dee Bradley Baker, who did all the clones and creatures on Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, what, one of my favorite things that I didn't realize until I saw the gallery, the Mandalorian behind-the-scenes series, was seeing Misty play Quill. Because she's like a she's four feet nine inches tall, and she's been like a stunt performer for years. She played the gorilla in Congo, and like it's just amazing seeing her play Quill. Because I don't know, I don't know who I imagined to be under there, but I didn't imagine a woman. I guess because it's a I mean, yeah, I just imagined a tiny Nick Nolte. <laughs> yes, I guess in my in my little brain that's what I imagined, which is impossible, but. Um, yeah, it's good to see her back and it's good to see D Bradley Baker back as well. He he's done more than the clone troopers, right? He's done a lot of, yeah, no, he's done tons of star Wars voices. And, and like I said, like every time there's a weird creature, uh, chances are he's behind it. And he also, um, you know, has done voice work for, I think all of the Disney era, uh, star Wars movies, uh, in, in post, um, you know, doing again, creature voices and extra voices and all kinds of things. He's, he's had a very long, uh, connection to star Wars. Okay. So her husband has seen multiple Mandalorians, uh, over where, where he is. And he's not sure if I guess Mandalorian, uh, like he asked, like, are these the Mandalorians from Navarro that left Navarro? And he, he, not sure. Uh, so, Brad, I wanted to ask you, like, who do you think these Mandalorians are? Or are there even Mandalorians? Is this like all a rouge to get her to her husband? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, we I mean, I guess we don't really know which specifically Mandalorians they could be. We know that there's, you know, at least some of them out there that had to scatter, you know, after they, you know, revealed themselves on Navarro. So, you know, it could be Mandalorians we know it could could be Mandalorians we haven't met. I I don't think we do. We know the, you know how how many there are and how far that they're scattered. Brian, no, we don't. I think we're learning that as we go on the Mandalorian. And I wonder how many actually survived Navarro. If you remember that shot of the armorer, uh, where they had she just just had that stack of Mando helmets. Yeah, uh, you know. So how many of them even escaped? Like that covert's going to be a lot smaller than it used to be. Yeah, and and since they have to be covert, then like there's really no way way of knowing. So I mean, she seems like the kind of person who probably wouldn't lie about something like that, but she also did seem pretty desperate, you know, to save save those eggs. So yeah. I, you know, it's it's could go either way. If we take her at face value, though, and there's multiple Mandalorians according to her husband, that's interesting because I honestly. You know, with the rumors being out there that Sabine Wren might be in the season, I honestly thought the next step was them was Mando finding Sabine. And I would think I guess she doesn't have to be alone, right? She doesn't have to be alone with Ahsoka. She could be with other Mandalorians. So I guess like that doesn't rule out that theory that that's where they're headed next. But um, yeah, OK, we'll 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 put a pin on that. Um, the Mando 
and the frog lady are unable to communicate, which makes this like an interesting dynamic. Uh, Baby Yoda finds the eggs kept in a liquid in something that looks almost like an astromech aquarium. And now that makes me want to like have like a jellyfish tank that looks like that. It'd be super <laughs> cool. Um, we actually saw this earlier, though. This leaked out, didn't it, Brad? Like, weren't there toys or something like Funko Pops of the the egg? Oh yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there was a leak of. I think it's a it's one of those like Funko like movie TV scene kind of uh, dioramas where he's standing next to that tank with the eggs in it. I, I completely forgot about that. You're right. And uh, they also mentioned that it was a uh, the planet is. I'm gonna pronounce this wrong. Esoteric. Is that right? An estuary. Uh, estuary. Okay. Uh, it's part. Well, here's the definition. Partially enclosed coastal body of blackish water with one or more rivers streaming uh, or streams flowing into it and with a free connection to the open sea. And as we saw from the trailer, there is a scene with them on boats. And actually, I think you can if you look closely, you can see the eggs, that egg thing somewhere in that scene. So I'm guessing that's where we're going to be in the next episode. So. So, that, you know, that's just me connecting the dots there. Um, but, okay, uh, there's this cute moment. There's lots of cute moments with the child this episode, which you mentioned. Uh, and the ch- child kind of, like, pushing his nose smushed up against the glass. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Mando catches the child eating one of the eggs and burping. A lot of child cuteness, which also, Brian, something we didn't bring up last week, but you brought up on your podcast, which I thought was interesting like a interesting point of view of this whole thing is at least at very least the last episode was shot before they even released season one of the Mandalorian on Disney plus. Yeah. So they had no idea exactly like what they had on their hands. I mean, I'm sure they could suspect, but yeah, it's so um, I think really confident in what they thought they had on their hands that they were like, we're just going to shoot these episodes before (laughs) we've ever even unleashed him on the world. Yeah. I just think it's funny that probably people watching this are like, oh, Disney's giving us more Baby Yoda because they saw the response. But, like, all this was written, and I'm sure – I'm not sure if this episode was in production before the first episode aired, but definitely the first episode was filming before the first episode aired. So, you know, I would think most of this was written before anybody publicly saw The Mandalorian. So I would I would guess just from a production standpoint that if they had Amy Sedaris together for Peli Mato, um, they probably had all of her season two stuff together. So if we don't see her again, chances are they were shooting these episodes pretty close together to keep her on the schedule with both directors. Oh, that's a good point, too. Yeah. So, uh. And it's also funny, like, I hate to keep on bringing up your podcast. Everybody should go listen to the Full of Sith podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, your co-host, Holly, I think brought up the the bartender from the last episode, did a, did a tweet stream of a story of how he got involved in The Mandalorian Season 2. And he mentioned that being on set because the, you know, the Season 1 hadn't aired yet. And seeing, like, this third name on the call sheets of the like you know whatever the what the name that they use for baby yoda and not knowing that there was even a baby yoda like he didn't even like while they were shooting he that was something he had to come into realize realize yeah no that was it was a really cool story i would uh look up that tweet thread too it was just charming yeah i'll put a link to that in the show notes okay um 
So they awaken to beeping from the cockpit. Two X-Wings inform them that they're required to run a beacon in this new Republic. Uh, Mando kind of talks his way out of it, says, may the force be with you. Um, I'm going to use this moment to ask you guys a bigger question here. Um, Mando doesn't know about the Jedi, but he somehow knows about may the force be with you. Which brings me to a bigger question. My friend on Facebook, Nate Pester, posted this last night. And I, I wanted to ask you guys and see what you guys thought of this larger Star Wars lore question. He says, I know Star Wars lore is always evolving, folding into itself. But I never understood the concept of presenting the Jedi as a myth, as figures shrouded in secrecy. At the end of season one of The Mandalorian, they refer to the Jedi as sorcerers. And no one really understands the Force. This... Works fine when thinking about the show in the vacuum, but everything that has been canon and service the serves the bigger picture. So why does no one know that the Jedi are who the Jedi are when literally 40 years ago they were the hottest shit in the galaxy? I'm quoting him. Uh, they were treated like celebrities. It's not like they lived in a small corner of the galaxy. They had a council in the most populated planet and were involved in a war that created a whole army of stormtroopers. Even Mandalorians played a big role in the Clone War. So, so it, yeah. I, I do think that there is some issue with the Mandalorians not passing down the history of the Jedi and their fights with the Jedi. Um, that, that makes it a little weird for me that Din Djarin isn't as aware of the Jedi. But think about what your average, and I want to say like North Korean, might know about their history from 40 years ago. What would your average North Korean know about the Korean War, uh, at, at least from the American perspective, right? Um, which is a little longer than 40 years ago, but y you get the idea, right? With the Empire having vilified the Jedi, and you see shadows of this in the Clone Wars, especially the episodes where Ahsoka is uh, framed for, for that, that murder, that people have turned against the Jedi and see them as tools of the oppression of the war and the difficulties of the war and the problems that they're having in the galaxy. And then they're murdered because the story is that they turned on the chancellor and tried to lead a coup. And then you have 20 years of people um, just of the empire suppressing the stories. Right. And vilifying them and making them the bad guys in stories and creating um, problems of their myth so that there are very few people out there telling about the virtues of the Jedi and whatnot. Um, people like Lor Santeca and the, the adherents of the Church of the Force and things like that, that are sort of quietly telling these stories after this major purge. Um, and, and it's a curious idea that Din Djarin would know about the Force and say, may the Force be with you. But um, like Luke says in Last Jedi, right? Like the Jedi don't own the Force and we've seen throughout all of the media that there are many people who believe in the force and, and most of them under that name, but others use different names for it. But it is sort of the spiritual nature of the galaxy with or without the Jedi. Yeah. It feels almost like a similar thing to way like, or people, even if they're not religious, like at times of war or in desperate situations, you say, you know, may God be with us, you know, cause even, uh, you know, Admiral Akbar in return of the Jedi says, may the force be with us when they get ready to stage their attack. So I, th I think it's just, yeah, like it's, it has like, it's more of a spiritual thing than just belonging to the Jedi. Okay. I think that was a good defense. Good job guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, back to the episode. The X-Wing pilots are suspicious. The Razor Crest makes a run for it. 
Um, I guess we should talk about these X-Wing pilots. I recognize one of them as uh, Dave Filoni, the uh, executive producer of Clone Wars and Rebels and uh, and the show. And uh, we saw him uh, last year as Trapper Wolf. But last year he had a different um, I say a different wingmate. Yeah, wingmate. It was uh, played by Deborah Chow, who was probably out busy making some kind of Obi Wan TV show, so she probably didn't have time for this. So, who is the other? Actually, fighter? he had he had he had two wingmates, didn't he, last season? Oh, maybe. Yeah, he also had um, the other director, Rick uh, from Rick, U- Rick, Rick from U- oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Famuyiwa. Yeah, I wonder where Rick is. They could have reused Rick, um, but this other actor, uh, Paul Sun Hung Lee, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, which I guess he's from the show Kim's Convenience, which I've never seen. So I'm wondering how he got that gig. Like, <laughs> he must have had a fan somewhere. Uh, okay. Uh, so there's a fun dogfight chase sequence through the clouds. Uh, is there a better dogfight scene in recent Star Wars? I don't think so. I mean, maybe Force Awakens? I think there's some stuff in Rogue One that matches it. Uh, in Rogue One, when they're coming in, like, on Scarif, some of that's really great. Um, but yeah, there hasn't I been mean, a lot of dogfighting. Yeah, all the the stuff with the Falcon and Tie Fighters in Last Jedi is pretty great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, that's that's fair. Um, I would I, one thing I would like to point out, and I'm I, I don't I I wonder like if there was more thought put in the depiction of this because like I don't know. It seems kind of weird to me that these formerly Rebel Alliance, now New Republic pilots are basically space cops and they're just they're trying to pull him over for some like minor infraction. And they're kind of dicks about it, you know, and, uh, you know, we'll get to later, like how how that that plays out and, and wraps up. But I couldn't help but thinking that it was like them trying to like give Mando a traffic ticket and be like, oh, you're going to have to come with us, you know, because your, your tail engine's out or something. Um and yeah, I don't know. Doesn't that feel? Does that feel a little weird? <laughs> I mean, it's a little. I was gonna say, if you look at the prequels and you see how the Jedi have been kind of turned into space cops as well, I don't know. I feel like that does like the situation of. But even even then, though, like Mace Mace Windu, like has that that you know they have a line they draw. He's like, "We're keepers of the peace. We're not soldiers," you know. Yeah. And but but these guys are clearly like cops. <laughs> well, I mean, they would have just let him go if he would have had his license and registration, though. But that's my point, though, is like, what are they doing? Are they just sending like is the New Republic just sending X-Wing pilots out and being like, see if anyone's fucking around out in space and pull them over? <laughs> well, no, I mean, they said their mission was looking for holdout Imperials and evidence of that. So if as long as they weren't Imperials. But I think it's it's also sort of a role reversal now, right, where the the rebellion, this disparate group of just like jackasses and x-wings uh they have to actually govern now and rule and and they're not good at it right because they're still learning how to do that so we think maybe we'll get an, a new star wars show at some point where the rebels have become the enemies and the empire resurges and has to stop them starring <laughs> captain captain carson tava and trapper wolf and it's basically just like <laughs> it i i don't know i would well, watch that show i i think the whole cop angle was invented a year or more before Black Lives Matters and that like whole movement, and I don't think we're going to be getting that spinoff because <laughs> we now live in a different time. Uh, okay, uh, Mando pulls a gravity-defying maneuver into the snow canyon, squeezes through some cave, and skids to a halt. Uh, the good news is the X-wings 
probably have lost him. The bad news is the ship crashes through the ice and is now in horrible shape. Uh, we see Baby Yoda eating more eggs, which is cute and gross at the same time. Uh, they go to sleep covered in blankets to keep warm. Mando wakes up because the droid head is talking to him. Uh, the frog lady is using it as a translator. And this is a droid we've seen before, right? Yeah, this was uh, Zero, um, which was one of the bounty hunters in the episode where they were going to that uh, New uh, New Republic uh, prison. Um, and this was voiced from the guy from... Uh, uh, the IT crowd, the Richard Awadi. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she explains... Uh, again, that these are the last eggs that she'll ever have, and her husband is waiting for. Her. Um, I gotta bring up this question, guys. Do we all still think Baby Yoda is cute and innocent, even though he is single handedly trying to end the bloodline of this poor frog lady? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't really know any better, he's just a, hu- a hungry guy, you know, and so like. <laughs> You can't blame, you know, your, your your dog too much for, you know, eating food that you leave on the counter that's fully in his grasp. <laughs> also, uh, but but at the same time, it's clear that he has some kind of preference, though, because, like, I love there's one of my favorite, like, sh- like adorable shots of the in this episode is when he, he's got a little tray of, like, food in front of him and he looks at it and then he looks back at the tank and he's like, ooh, that, that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that shot was great. Uh, no, the puppet work they've been doing with him is so good in this episode. I think this is probably the best it's been. Well, and that and also I, I love like some of the more subtle sounds he makes. Like when he was uh, getting up towards the tank for the first time, there's like a little bit of like heavy breathing, like, oh, oh you know, a little bit like, like the cute little infant breathing when they're struggling to like get somewhere. <laughs> uh, OK, while Mando does his repairs, the frog lady leaves. They follow it inside the ice cave. Mando uses his thermal vision to follow the tracks. Very like Predator. You mentioned that as like a yeah. reference, right? Down um, to the VHS lines on the on the signal. Yeah. Uh, he finds her inside a hot spring bathing the eggs. Um, I This is so fun and weird in Star Wars. Uh, but I do got to ask because this is Star Wars and they seem to go to the same planets and stuff. So... Uh, what planet are they on, Brian? I, I I don't think that this was this was uh, in the trailers. I thought this might have been Ilum. Um, it's Ilum definitely is a nice not planet with hot springs, right? Yeah, um, it is. But I don't necessarily. I mean, Ilum at this point has been dragged away to start being Star Killer Base, um, yeah. and so uh, it's definitely not Ilum. And it could just be a random moon we've never seen before, which would make sense. But um, I wonder where it is because uh, the spiders, you know, the spider creatures, uh, we've seen them before. Or at least I think we've seen them before on Adalon. So uh, it might be close to that region of space. Yeah, let's get to that in a second. Um, okay, so Mando gathers the eggs and puts them back in the container and scolds the child not to eat, eat an egg. Uh, the child is sniff- sniffling. Is he sniffing or sniffling because it's cold? I'm not even. Oh, sure. I think he's. I think he's smelling for food. Oh yeah, he cl- yeah he clearly smells. That there's something interesting over there, and then he walks in, as he's walking through that alien <laughs> alien esque <laughs> nest of eggs. Yeah, as he used to, I was like, oh no, no, no. Um, so you mentioned we've seen these spider things before. I think I've seen them in Star Wars Rebels, and I can even buy one. 
in the creature shop and in, in on Batu in Blackspire Outpost. Uh, but where did where did we see them in Altalon? Adalon, yeah, in Adelon? Star Wars Rebels, Adalon was the planet where the rebels were hiding out, and they were they were these really aggressive spiders that uh, they had to keep away with with sort of these sonic transponders that kept them away, and it was very difficult for um, Kanan to sort of be able to control them and and commune with them so that he wouldn't get eaten and that was sort of one of the things that the bendu tried to teach him in order to sort of temper his anger at being blinded by darth maul and so because of that i kind of thought that the episode was kind of heading in a direction where baby that the, the baby was going to use the force to somehow do something with him it did not go that way at all though um we saw them holding back on him using the force at all i thought there was gonna be a moment later on when they were on top of him that that he would i actually at first i thought i I know we're skipping ahead here but there was a spider on top of his head and it exploded and at first i thought maybe he used the force to explode the spider but now that's not what happened um but we've seen these the original these are actually ralph mccory designs uh, these came from a, a Ralph McQuarrie painting that uh, the first time we saw it was in uh, Kevin J. Anderson's illustrated Star Wars universe book. And it was actually on Dagobah. But the little egg pods for the spiders that we see all around the ice and the giant spiders are exactly they're 100 percent right out of that Ralph McQuarrie painting. In in my review on Slash Film, I linked to it and you can look at it and you can go, yep, they just did that Ralph McQuarrie painting 100 percent. They just transplanted it yeah. from Dagobah to ice. It, it's interesting how much modern Star Wars is trying to replicate Ralph McQuarrie. Like from last week's episode with the crate dragon, this episode with the the spider, uh, you know, JJ Abrams was <laughs> all over the place trying to crib off Ralph McQuarrie's designs. Um, it, it almost seems like they're trying visually to emulate McQuarrie more than they are George Lucas. I mean, at the end of the day, though, like, I feel like, you know, a lot of what Lucas did is McQuarrie yeah. still. Like, sure, sure, they made some drastic changes to certain designs that he had, but, like, it's just, it's still, it's them trying to fit into that classic Star Wars aesthetic, you know, I think. And it just, just so happens that Ralph McQuarrie is, you know, one of the best concept artists of all time. And he had so many cool ideas that didn't make it into Star Wars. And it's like, why would you let these go to waste when they're sitting right here? You know, I think Ralph McQuarrie is also the one that has had the most success with having his art put out there for us to see. Um, there's a lot of Star Wars concept artists whose designs they've still been building on. We just don't talk about them as much, right? Like uh, Nilo's, uh, Nilo Rados Jamero, who did a lot of the designs with Joe Johnston in Return of the Jedi. A lot of their stuff is getting built upon uh, in really interesting ways on this show. But, you know, we've only had a couple of books of their stuff over the last 35 years. And so we just we don't associate it as well. We don't know it as encyclopedia encyclopedically as we do the Macquarie stuff. So I think we gravitate toward that. Um, but I think Doug Chang is as much the the synthesis of all of those influences, and him working on the show really brings all those together. Yeah, but he feels like even though I know he, him as an artist, I know that he's been highly influential. He seems more of like almost like the uh, executive producer of the arts these days, right? Like he's like the one keeping it all consistent. 
Yeah, he he reminds me the the impression I get is that he's sort of taken the George Lucas role where he kind of walks through the art department and says, "Yeah, that's good," and and puts the 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 plo cool stamp on it or whatever, <laughs> and sort of encourages people in those directions because he had so much of that that firsthand training about all of that with George. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Mando grabs the eggs in the egg container, and the frog lady grabs her clothes with her tongue, which I think is probably one of those moments that you mentioned with Peyton Reed, like, throwing these, like, kind of really moments of comedy in the middle of, like, a possibly scary sequence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, The mama spider arrives back at the nest and chases them out of the cave along with her newborns. what, what do you guys think of the scene? The scene was like so cool. It was like so creepy, a creepy, like alien sci-fi scene that I wasn't expecting from the season of Mandalorian. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. The, the only issue I guess that I would say that I had with it. Um, and even though he does end up resorting to this later is I wasn't sure why he wasn't using that flamethrower from the beginning, uh, rather than trying to, cause, to shoot all of them, because there were infinitely more of them at first than there were <laughs> trying to get into the door of the cockpit of the Razor Crest, and he should have been using that flamethrower immediately. Well, That's maybe, just how John Favreau wrote it. <laughs> or, or maybe he only has <laughs> Thanks, enough. Brian. <laughs> yep. Hey, there's not that much room in that like arm piece, so he only has so much fuel. Brad, he has to use his last resort. It's kind of like the whistling birds. That's a good question. I wonder if there if there is limited fuel for the flamethrower or if he has the ability to tap into the fuel that's also in his jetpack. Oh, that's a good idea, too. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> um, OK, Mando's shooting the little spiders, which, as you said, it seems like a, a losing battle. The frog lady is jumping like a frog to escape, which is just an awesome detail. Uh, Mando sets some charges, doesn't seem to stop them. Uh, there's this cool badass shot of Mando lighting up his flamethrower. Um they retreat to the Razor Crest, and the spiders infest the ship. Uh, Baby Yoda has a spider in his head. The Frog Lady blasts them. Uh, Mando uses the flamethrower to melt all the spiders in the ship, finally. And he starts up the ship, hoping it will work. The big spider sees them in the cockpit and starts attacking it. Uh, but just as the, the last minute, something helps them. Blaster fires seen coming from somewhere outside the ship. Uh, Mando finds the two X-Wing pilots helping to kill the spider. Um, outside the ship was kind of, which is kind of a surprise but it's also very star wars like this seems like very like a dave filoni thing to do am i wrong um, no i i think i think it is i mean it's also physically dave filoni yeah <laughs> <laughs> he, he's 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 literally coming to the rescue here um so they uh where was i um so they, they ran the tabs on the ship and found the arrest warrant from his involvement from the prison escape in Chapter 6, The Prisoner. Uh, one of the pilots even mentions Lieutenant D- Davian? Davin. 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 Yeah, yeah, and that was Matt Lanter's character. Yeah, but the computer records show that he also did a lot of good. So technically, he should be under arrest, but they say it, it's, uh, quote, quote, unquote, trying times. So they're they're gonna let him go this one time, 
and uh, he asks for their help to fix the ship, and they basically tell him to fuck off. They're like, "Fix yeah, it." Yeah, another, <laughs> another, another like dickhead cop moment. He's like, "He's like, well, how about you help me out?" And he's like, "It's like, how how about we just let you go and you you know just suck a dick and fix the ship yourself?" <laughs> yeah, they're like, "Fix the responder so we don't vaporize you next time." It's like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's very strange. Very strange. They um, had they had space to patrol. <laughs> yeah. Um, this reminds me of a time when I actually got pulled over by someone, and <laughs> I and it, uh, I was actually coming home because my car was having issues, and I told them this, you know, as a, like a bout of sympathy, and to try and not get a ticket because I didn't. I was going through a school zone, and I wasn't going super fast, but I just happened to be going a little bit above the speed limit, and so tried to reason with them. And then once I told them something was wrong with my car, and he goes, "Oh, well, then after you get that fixed, you should get your taillight fixed too." And it's just like, "Fuck you, buddy." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean this this interaction. As much as like it seems weird for like these X wing pilots to be be like these dickhead space cops now, it definitely rings true, right? Like if that's the the like you're like everybody has like an interaction with cops that like kind of feels like this, which uh yeah. So um okay, so the the ship is in major disrepair. The spider is dead on top of it. And Mando does what he can to bring the Razor Crest back uh, to a place where it can take off. And they're able to get the ship airborne. Uh, he says, wake me up if something shoots at us or if the door gets pulled off the rails. I'm kidding. We'd all be dead. Um, which, is, which is another good, uh, like, Peyton Reed, like, moment. Uh, the frog lady goes to sleep, but Baby Yoda eats an egg that he's apparently been hiding for a while. Another... Is is that the moment that you were talking about, That's, Brian? Yeah, really. Like it's it's like it's that moment where like everything's over and you're not expecting another gag. Yeah. And then there's just one more and it it's just the right note to send that episode off in because it's it's as funny as it is horrible and morbid. Sure. Yeah. Um okay. So end questions, I guess. Um next week do you think we're finally gonna meet some other Mandalorians? Or will we find more, out that that was a lie? I hope so. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I, I, I hope so. But it could also be like he just really needs to get a ship repair fast because the longer he, you know, putters about the 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 sooner it is the Empire is going to catch up to him. Which I, the thing about Filoni, and I think it could have rubbed off on Favreau is that in Clone Wars and Rebels, there were a lot of episodes that people were like, oh, those were filler, particularly Rebels. They were like, oh, that was filler. It was entertaining, but it's not going to mean anything. And all of those episodes, especially in the last season of Rebels, came back for something. And if the Empire is fighting him, his relationship with the New Republic could very easily come back to do that, uh, Pelimato like paid off and came back. And so if him getting his ship destroyed turns out to be a major story point and him running into the empire and them catching him and the new Republic being aware of him and his record. I could see all of that coming to a head and, and those threads intertwining in future episodes, maybe not necessarily the next one, but I can see that all paying off later. No, I, I agree. I, I think I have more of a, a problem with the Clone Wars and the filler episodes than Rebels and filler episodes, because it seems like there's filler episodes where it's like just a droid episode and there's like nothing really gets furthered at all in Clone Wars. But I, I know I'm in, I don't know. 
I, I'm one of the people that likes Rebels more than Clone Wars, and I feel like I'm in the minority of Star Wars fans there. So, um, but okay. Uh, is... One last thing I want to talk about about that um, from the last sequence in the in the cockpit is oh uh, the other um, Baby Yoda moment that I love is when like he has that like that glance like with the frog lady like you know like okay you saved me and like we understand each other now and then like he he looks at the like like the tank one last time is like all right i guess i won't do this anymore and then like he then he all of a sudden he reaches up and just eats one last egg <laughs> well and i love that moment of her like that uh, acting where she just kind of clutches it tighter like giving him that like no you're not doing it like she knew the whole time yeah he was eating those eggs <laughs> oh she knows how many eggs are in there or are supposed to be in there and they keep yeah. on disappearing where where else are they going um, what what won't the child eat? I guess is a question that this episode. I, I loved, I loved that John Hurt shot where he just cracks open the egg and eats the spider and all of that <sighs> green, like alien ooze. Yeah, he it just was... crunches right into it. <laughs> so gross. But now, now we know that he likes frogs, so it makes sense he's eating the frog lady's eggs, right? Because we yeah, have evidence of that. But now he likes spiders, so. uh I don't know. I'm wondering what else are we going to see him eat? And will will that ever affect our opinion of the child? I want to see how he reacts to a Gungan. Like, is that just, a, <laughs> is that going to be a feast? I don't know. I think Gungan's too big. I mean, Maybe I would have thought the Gungan? frog lady was too. Yeah. But I, I think if he could have figured out how to eat her, he would have. He liked the eggs <laughs> that much. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, okay, uh, is the I have two more questions for you guys. Uh, well, first of all, we published a story today on SlashFilm.com. This originates from Deadline that they might start shooting a Boba Fett miniseries as soon as next week. So yeah, so this report was like a huge mess though. So because I wrote this up for the site and. It's like it's I mean, it's deadline. Sometimes they do some of the sloppiest, like worst, most vague reporting, especially when it comes to stuff where there's like a rich fan base and they don't know how to dig into details or explain things. And so like basically they initially they said they said Mandalorian season three could start filming next week or uh, late November, early December. And then they were like, well, hold on a second. Well, now we're hearing that maybe the maybe this show won't start shooting season three until next spring, early 2021. And this other thing might be a totally different show, which there's rumors that maybe it's a Boba Fett spinoff, or there's rumors that maybe it's this uh, Gina Carano, Katie Sackhoff, Cara Dune, Bo-Katan, uh, you know, series that doesn't have any substantial uh, reason for existing yet. <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe it's the, the Leslie Headland series that we heard about. And so they're like, they're like, we we don't so, know. We're, we're just gonna throw us to the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> so last month, Favreau told Variety though that Mando season three would start shooting before the end of the year. Yeah, so like, well, so, like well, last so, month. Yeah, so I I don't know. It's it, it sounds like some wires are getting crossed somewhere, um, and it sounds like that there's there maybe there's a, another show that is close to shooting besides Mando season three and Obi Wan, which is also supposed to start. Uh, next spring, but so could that be Cassian and K two? Uh, I don't, th- I don't think so because I think that they they're just they just went back to the drawing board and they're re- reworking that. Yeah. Didn't we see like? Don't we have a story about that recently? Something like that. I but like I I would I wouldn't be honestly what I what I think could could happen potentially 
depending on how this whole Boba Fett thing plays out in the series, is I wouldn't be surprised if we get an episode where Boba Fett gets his armor back and then he jets off into the sun or whatever. He and jets then off into a spinoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, then, and, and then Lucasfilm is like, surprise, there's a Boba Fett show coming. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all i but i also like i don't trust deadline to understand the difference between a mandalorian and boba fett yeah for sure and i also even though like i could see them doing that because obviously people love boba fett and they would you know would love to see what what's going on with him whether it's post mandalorian or pre mandalorian i i'm not sure i want two different shows where the main character is a mandalorian you know even if one of them is boba fett you know i feel like mandalorian's already scratching that itch um, but I'm not don't, sure we, don't we know that there's a Boba Fett limited series in development? So they they developed with Josh Trank and then James Mangold developed it. And then he walked when they sort of canceled all the movies. And then so it sounds like they've been wanting to do something Boba Fett for a long time. But I thought there and was feel, somebody after that. Or am I wrong? Am I, I don't things? think. No? no, I don't think I don't think so. And I, and I feel like that they've talked before about didn't they rework some of the stuff that they thought would be in the Boba Fett movie into Mandalorian? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I haven't heard that specifically, but that wouldn't uh, that wouldn't surprise me at a season two. If there is a Boba Fett TV show in the mix being developed right now, which is, I think, a high probability, I would say. What do you think it is? Do you think it's it takes place after? We see, you know, like you said, he gets the the armor back and he's on his way. And now it's the Boba Fett TV show. Or do you think, like, we'll actually get the story of what happened? Like, how did he get out of the Sarlacc pit? And I don't don't imagine we're going to have a conversation with Boba Fett on this in this series where, like, we get the, you know, the Cobb Vanth flashback style, like explaining what happened. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I, I mentioned on the first uh, after the first episode that it would be cool if we did get one of those episodes where it was just entirely focused on, you know, where has Boba Fett been? Yeah. And I think th- that's probably the I guess maybe the most interesting thing to explore, depending on how long he's been out of the Sarlacc pit and, you know, what his story is to where he gets now. So it probably partially depends on how much they explain during this season of The Mandalorian, because beyond that, I, I don't know, I feel like. Any show that it has Boba Fett in it after he get potentially gets his armor back, you know, and we've seen him come back to life is just the Mandalorian again with it with yeah. a different story. I, you know? I I think that there's a really fertile period of time uh, where they could use Daniel Logan sort of unequivocally during the dark times, during the time of the Empire, where he's working for Jabba the Hutt prior to A New Hope in that region where we're just learning more about the star Wars underworld and underworld is, is during that time is, is somewhere like George Lucas had developed those like 80 scripts that they're still mining material for. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Boba Fett stuff was getting ripped out of that. And and there's also the possibility that could be both that we could be seeing like a, you know, almost young indie like in that it's flashing back to moments from his past and, mixing that with this current struggles in I, I don't i don't know about that i think i think we've established that the prequel route for star wars isn't necessarily the best thing especially when yeah. we're dealing with the, the children quote unquote of characters that we love even though it is boba fett it's also <laughs> technically the child of boba fett in a weird way um and plus like I, I how do you do that show with daniel logan because like he obviously he's grown up now but like they gotta hit they have to give him the voice of Tamora morrison probably i but mean also didn't he have 
I mean, I don't want to bring gossip into this this discussion, but wasn't there some recent like weird talk of like there was some like infidel? I don't know. I don't want to get into it, but it just seemed like something that Disney probably wouldn't want to get involved with Daniel Logan. I mean. He's still been involved. I mean, he's been voicing the character on Clone Wars. Um, yeah. And there's definitely some untold stories there. I don't know. Like, how, how old does are... he how old does he get in Clone Wars? Not not only only like a little bit. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, like he 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 gets to be like a late teenager. I mean, he's he's like 16 or 17 by the end of Clone Wars. OK, so, yeah, because like so I feel like if they're going to do anything like that, he especially if it's like closer to the new New Hope era then it has to be the Boba Fett voice that we would be more familiar with, even though technically that's not the voice that we know best since they changed the voice in the special <laughs> edition releases on Blu-ray. But yeah, well, I mean that a certain generation knows best because True. kids nowadays don't know the difference. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Kids don't know shit. <laughs> this episode has gone a lot longer than I thought it was going to go. We're at one hour and five minutes, but I did want to bring up one last thing because I, I, I keep on getting a lot of, this from even our readers and listeners and i wanted to bring this up on the show because i feel like it's become such misinformation out there right now that like i feel like we need to address it and that is uh pedro pascal and the reports <laughs> that he is supposedly unhappy with the show which is like the biggest show of all time he's so unhappy being part of the show that like he's like this is gonna be the last season with him and he's like uh, quit or but fired or I, I can't even keep track so of the it. rumor the rumor was that uh he was gonna walk off after half the season because he was unhappy that he couldn't take his mask off more and appear more on the show and he was unhappy with the direction that disney was taking it and this was started by a a youtuber who is well known for just making stuff up and you know, uh, a lot of a lot of bad stuff gets said about uh, Grace Randolph, and I just want to say that it's all true. <laughs> uh, um, I wasn't even going to name names, but yeah, no, it was it was her. No, no, no. We, yeah. But even, yeah. even even filmmakers have called her out for making. Yeah, this person her. gets deserved to gets called out because it's such bullshit. And she perpetuates such gossip and nonsense, and she pretends to be this all knowing expert, but she's she's not. And she's she's almost like she's like the equivalent of Donald Trump in in film in the film you know, media world because she, she has in, convinced her followers that she's all knowing and she knows what's going on. So she has all these followers who are like, ah, Grace, Grace Randolph has always been right about scoops. And you're just upset. And Rick and Nick do do these people that feeds off the negativity and uh, the quick baity kind of head, headlines to like drive your, you know, you're, you're angry about what Disney's doing to star Wars and come watch me talk about it. Like that kind of thing. Or that's at least how I feel personally. But, um, I don't know that this is not true for a hundred percent fact. I, I'll say that, but everybody I've talked to has said that this has no basis. So, so when I was doing the digging and trying to figure out the timelines, her story is that um, he walked off halfway through the season through shooting yeah. and that they had to redo stuff like for the second half. But Phil Shostak uh, from Lucasfilm was tweeting, uh, you know, right near the end of the right near the end of shooting in spring about how he got to hang out with with Pedro Pascal and give him some stuff uh, like a like a gift to some art or something like right at the end of shooting. And it's like, who am I going to trust? Am I going to read the, the between the lines of the guy who works on the show 
and was able to have a first person interaction with uh, Pedro Pascal before this scandal broke out? Or am I going to trust, you know, the second least trustworthy person on YouTube? <laughs> the uh, one last thing I want to say about Grace is uh, she had this whole thing about uh, the Mandalorian trailer. It was supposed to premiere on this like sporting event and then it got pulled and then like there was all this thing going on. I have a hundred on a hundred percent authority that none of that is true. So I just don't, I just doubt any reports coming from her about the production of Mandalorian, but that's just me. So I, I would say if you're out there, I would not worry about Pedro Pascal and his future as Mandalorian. I think that's, uh, I think he has a very strong future as Mandalorian. Okay, Brian, I know you need to run because you have another call. Uh, where can people find more of your work online? Oh, uh, you can find me at Swankmatron on Twitter or Swankmatron.com and, and read my stuff on Slash Film. I'm going to be covering The Mandalorian through the whole season and doing these. And if you like listening to me talk about Star Wars, you could do it at the Full of Sith podcast, which is fullofsith.com. Very cool. Thank you, Brian. Okay, we have reached the end of this edition of Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please, if you saw something in this episode of Mandalorian, you have some kind of speculation, you have you saw some kind of Easter egg, you have some kind of trivia, please send it to us at peter at slashfilm.com and please mention your name in general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. And please head on over to our iTunes page, give us a rating, write us a review, tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you on Monday.